Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am. Let's do it! All right, let's give it a whirl! Okay! Before we get started, I want to thank all of our listeners for being there and being so wonderful. And I just want you all to know how much we love you. Uh, Yes. Uh, Thank you to all those uh, listening all over this great country and all over this wonderful planet of ours. And uh, uh, for those of you, if this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, welcome. Uh, The way that we do things around here is that in a moment, I will give the data necessary for my mother to create an astrological birth chart uh, for a random historical figure. Uh, Now you, the listening audience, already know who this history guest is. Uh, It is in the uh, title of today's episode. I, of course, know who it is because I selected this person, but Mom has no idea who this person could be. Uh, So I will give her the uh, birth date, time, and location of this mystery history guest. She will then input that data into the Bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart where all the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that person was born. Uh, I'll then ask a few discussion questions about the person while she gives us the best reading that she can uh, of the person's uh, personality, characteristics, fortunes. Uh, And then I will reveal to her who our mystery history guest is, give a little background about the person, and then we'll come together at the end and discuss how accurate the chart was at predicting who this person would be. So without any further ado, let us begin. All right. Uh, This is a female. Okay. uh, Born on the 13th. All right. uh, Of April. All right. 1519 J-U-L. Wow. Okay. Uh, 
<laughs> of a time. I was able to find one, yes. <gasps> okay. 5.45 a.m. Wow. That's amazing. Okay, and where? Uh, Italy. All right. And the town? Florence. Well, let's take a look at this. So again, this is a female born April 13th, 1519. Ooh. That is in the Julian calendar. Uh, 5.45 a.m. <gasps> in Florence, Italy. Wow. Look at all of this up here. Mm-hmm. This is not a very grounded person. <laughs> this person's not super grounded in Earth. Um, this person has a very interesting 12th house and 6th house. All right. Well, I guess let's just start with the first house because that's where they have their north node. Uh, if this birth time is correct, this person has Taurus rising at 15 degrees. Now, they also have their north node at zero degrees Gemini in that first house, which is, see how it changes right here, Chandler? Yes. Okay. So we know that whenever there is a zero degree or a 29 degree of any planet or north node, etc., that it's very significant, all right? So this person with Taurus rising and North Node and Gemini at zero degrees, which is very significant, and communication is going to be very significant because the North Node is in Gemini in the first house. So people should have seen this person as some sort of orator, a person who speaks, a person who communicates, significantly all right uh we go around and since we have Taurus on the first house we have gemini in the second house okay there is nothing in that house then we have third house cusp is cancer and we have mars in cancer at 18 degrees in the third house which is communication Again, could be written communication. Also has to do with siblings and early education, elementary education. This person has Mars in Cancer in the third house, which is real about Gemini communication. So here we have, they their direction is to communicate. Okay, that's their North Node. And here we have their passion. Their passion is to communicate nurture, with nurturing in the third house, because third house is communications, and we have Mars and Cancer there. Uh, fourth house is also Cancer, but mostly fourth house is Leo. Okay, it just changes in an odd way there because it's blasted as houses. There's nothing in the fifth house. Sixth house, which is work has moon in Libra conjunct by degree Jupiter in Libra. So somehow this person should love their work or be 
emotionally attached to their work. Uh, and there is fortune that they're fortunate, like, because it's Jupiter, so it's a lot. And their work, uh, their work should be, <laughs> their work should be pretty because it's Libra. So there's something about that. I'll come back to that. Then we have a uh, sixth house cusp is Scorpio. Uh, pardon me. Seventh house cusp is Scorpio. There's nothing in that house. Eighth house is Sag. There's nothing in that house. Ninth house, though. Hello. Ninth house, the house of philosophy and dogma and religion and um, travel and uh, higher education, uh, like uh, high school, university, um, uh, spiritual education is uh, in Capricorn. So this person has Pluto at seven degrees Capricorn, conjunct by sign Saturn at 22 degrees Capricorn in the ninth house. This person should have been very connected to philosophy and dogma and religion, I would think. And, 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 and because it's in Capricorn, which is ruled by Saturn, it's very structured. There's a lot of control there, like serious, uh, rules and, um, uh, you know, dogma, very serious dogma. Now, their 10th house is also Capricorn. See, because of the way this works in the, in, in the uh, 2nd and, and the ninth, because we have uh, such an interesting Placidus arrangement here. Um, and they have Chiron at 8 degrees Aquarius. Wow. Okay, so Wounded Healer. In Aquarius, Chiron is the wounded healer in Aquarius. Uh, their midhaven is at 24 degrees Capricorn. So this philosophy, travel, whatever is going on here in this ninth house is like their career. So maybe this is like a, a nun or something. I don't know. Um, but with Chiron in the 10th house in Aquarius, it seems that it would be wounded healers. So from uh, wounds comes teaching and healing. I would think with this person's chart, it was probably some sort of humanitarian efforts. Do not know. Neptune in the 11th house. Neptune in the 11th house, also in Aquarius at 28 degrees. Uh, something having to do with groups of people, um, could be, uh, I just feel like this person must have been very religious or spiritual, maybe. Um, they, uh, there's some psychic ability with people, uh, because it's Neptune, so it could be psychic ability, it could be. Um, I don't feel like this is like an artist, but maybe it is. But I mean, bringing the art, bringing the, I just want to say this is 
like bringing these talents, these supernatural talents to the people. I don't know. Again, I think it has to do with that spirituality. But hello, 12th house. 12th house and 6th house are very, I mean, even though they're opposing each other, look at the wide berth on these two, right? So 12th house seriously has to do with this person's work, right? And this is karmic. So we have natal Mercury in Aries at seven in the 12th house. So speaking of warlike things, speaking of passionate things, speaking of... Sun is at one degrees Taurus. Venus is at eight degrees Taurus. And Uranus is at 11 degrees Taurus. So we have all of this intense um, drive, okay? Because the Taurus drive is going to be, you, you cannot stop it. And then you have this Mercury and Aries, which is like lightning fast, okay? And, and, and fiery, pushing all of this intense, super intense Taurus, Sun, Venus, and Uranus. And it's all in the 12th house. So it's all karmic. It's whatever they came in to do. And then that North Node in the first house. Is anything I'm saying making sense? Yes. Okay. So, um, wow. This person... Honestly, I would think that this person glows. <laughs> like, this is not even a real human being. This person is a very magical kind of person. So, um, do you have questions? Yes. Um, what would uh, their childhood be like? Well, for childhood, we kind of come over here to third house which is like the the time of sibling their siblings and there is um early learning uh i would assume that this being a woman in the 1500s they were not educated uh so mars is in the third house in cancer so there could have been like in a war environment possibly um, look to the mother, which is in the sixth house. There could have been a lot of hard work, but maybe work that they enjoyed, but possibly a war environment, but it's in cancer. So it isn't necessarily like right on them. You know, it, it, it I, that's what I, that's the best I could do as far as like childhood in this situation. Okay. Um, what would her married life look like? Married life. Well, they don't have anything in the seventh house. They don't have anything in the fifth house, which is romance. I would be surprised if this person was married, but they have Scorpio on the seventh house, so it could be pretty, you know, pretty romantic and intense. Uh, but there is nothing in there. So it's hard to say. 
Their Mars is in Cancer. So Mars is usually, the if you are heterosexual female, Mars is the kind of man that you would be interested in. I would assume that this person would be interested in a male that was not super domineering, not super dominant, more um, creative, watery, uh, and um, in tune with their emotions. Okay. What kind of mother would she be? Well, uh, she has moon in Libra and Jupiter conjunct moon in Libra. So she could be a very, very, very good mother. All right. Uh, She has everything that she needs here to be a very good mother. In fact, she has everything here that she could have had a really good mother. All right. But somehow this is connected to work. So, uh, maybe she has to work while she's mothering, um, in order to keep everything afloat somehow, because I mean, women didn't usually have jobs back then. Uh, most of the time they, uh, they just were wives, you know, uh, the whole idea was to get a husband so you could survive, so you could have some property or anything, because women couldn't have anything. They couldn't own anything. So I would assume... Now, the other side of this coin is that um, she works in an industry where women could work, <laughs> which is uh, not a very nice job. But I can't, I don't know. With all this going on up here, I just, I don't know. I don't know about that. It's wow, worst, case, wow, wow. Worst, worst case scenario that could be what goes on. She, she is part of the world's oldest profession. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not. That's the, the dark side of this, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, how would she do with finances? Um, She is Gemini on her second house. So we've had this situation before with uh, Gemini's. <laughs> In her second house. Geminis don't have so much. I mean, they're okay. They like money. It isn't that they don't like it. It's just that they really like the thrill better. So they're they're going to be more adventurous. Like a Sagittarius is going to be like, you know, uh, windsurfing and, and, and jumping out of airplanes. A Gemini kind of likes to do things along that line. Maybe not as wild as a Sag, but they, they do like that light not 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 super committed kind of situation but that's on her second house which would be her values and her money on her ninth house which is her philosophy her dogma her um you know world travel she has capricorn there so it is possible that she could be very in control if money is her philosophy you know it is possible that money could be her dogma because it's Capricorn and Capricorns like money a lot. Okay. What is her relationship with the supernatural? <laughs> she is the supernatural. <laughs> I don't know if this person did not have any relationship with the supernatural. I will be shocked and I will have to figure out once you tell me who it is, 
what they did with all this. Because do you see all this 12th house? Mm-hmm. Okay, so 12th house is ruled by... 12th house is Pisces, ruled by Neptune, which is the supernatural. It is your ability to, you know, your psychic ability, your intuition, your, uh, it, there, you know, it's, it's, it's how strong the veil is with you. With this person, they had the ability to day trip back and forth between worlds if they wanted to. Um, also with this Neptune in the 11th house, also to, and, and this communicating, you know, Mercury there to communicate whatever it was. And uh, Uranus being extremely unique, um, you know, like uh, first time this has happened kind of thing or uh, some sort of futuristic ability here. But this ninth house is what leads me especially to believe this because because of this heavy level of 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 control and dogma in this ninth house, it leads me to believe that this was a very spiritual person with all this 12th house information and this 11th house and, uh, and, and, and North node in Gemini communicating people see you as a communicator significant because it's zero degrees, which also means that, you know, you've got four degrees on this side in Taurus, which makes this person very strong. Uh, how does this person um, handle adversity? Well, this person has Taurus on the first house and North Node in the first house. This person has Mars in the third house. But this Mercury and all these planets in like this Mercury and Aries and all this Taurus, uh, I would assume that this, okay, where if all these planets were in Aries, Okay, I would say that this person would literally fight it, you know, like a like a warrior would fight it. But in this situation, this person, I want to say, perseveres. Okay, like you can't you keep you keep shooting at this person and you can't kill them, if that makes any sense. The difference between uh, 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 persevering and fighting. Attacking something head on, Mm -hmm. she's someone who's going to recognize what's going on and live to fight another day. Yes, I would. I would think so. Because I want to say that this person's mission has a nurturing aspect to it because it's Mars and Cancer. So this person doesn't really want to kill things per se. They want things to be better. Does that make any sense? Is she capable of killing things? Oh, yeah. I think so. I think anybody that has a lot of Taurus or Aries uh, can kill things. I I think that in this situation, um, but Taurus is more... Taurus has a long fuse, okay? But you really don't want to be at the end of that fuse, because a Taurus can annihilate you in a completely different way than an Aries can. Because an Aries has that fiery temper. A Taurus is more like stomping you to death. Slower and methodical. Uh-huh. It's a, imagine this person is like a big giant ox, right? 
and it's thundering and lightning and, and, and just pouring huge sheets of rain and, and they just keep walking. They just keep walking. Those hooves hit the ground and take another step and another step and another step. Even if, you know, they have like arrows sticking out of them, they just keep walking and their head is down and they just keep going. You don't want to go up against a tortoise as far as stamina. A tortoise is going to beat you out in stamina every time. What role does legacy play in their life? Well, they don't have anything in their eighth house, but they do have Sagittarius on their eighth house. So if there was going to be a legacy for this person, I would assume that this legacy has to do with something very cavalier, something... um, unique, something even maybe educational or having to do with a philosophy, uh, maybe even travel. Uh, so uh, is there anything else in this chart that you haven't uh, pointed out already? Not that I'm aware of, and I hope I do know who this is, because uh, this person is extremely ethereal. If they were not aware of their uh, abilities. I would be very surprised. But, um, I mean, I would imagine that this person has a very bright aura. At this time, I think, uh, we're ready for, uh, the summary of our findings. Okay. Uh, so, uh, the first thing that you said was that she could be an orator, a speaker, a communicator about significant things. Um, Written communication is a passion in her life, communication with nurturing. Uh, She loves, she is emotionally attached to work. There is a fortune with work and a a beauty in in her work life. Uh, She is very connected to philosophy, dogma, religion. Serious rules, serious dogma with religion and philosophy. Uh, She could possibly have a religious career, maybe a nun. Uh, She is very religious, very spiritual. There's a connection to the supernatural. She possibly has a psychic ability. Bringing supernatural abilities to people. Speaking of warlike things. She has an intense drive. Uh, she uh, could glow in an unhuman way. Uh, there could be a, a war, conflict-filled environment in her childhood. Uh, hard work uh, in her childhood, but she may have enjoyed this hard work. It uh, could be uh, an intense romantic life, um, but it's hard to tell uh, what her uh, romantic life or what her marriage was like. Uh, she would want uh, a romantic partner who was not domineering, who was more emotional and spiritual. Uh, she could be a very good mother. Uh, motherhood is connected to her work. Uh, she could be easygoing with money unless money is part of her dogma. If it is part of her uh, dogma, then uh, she would be in control of money. She would be very intuitive. Uh, She has a strong connection to the supernatural. Uh, She would persevere. Uh, Her fighting philosophy would be live to fight another day. 
She wants to nurture. She would have a, a very long fuse. Um, but once uh, you got to the end of that fuse, there would be serious hell to pay. Uh, slow, methodical advance towards goals and opponents. There's a legacy uh, connected to unique things. Uh, very ethereal. Uh, she would have a bright aura. Uh, would you like to know whose chart you've been reading? Yes, I would. This is the astrological birth chart of Catherine de' Medici. <gasps> Ooh. Okay. Okay. Well, Catherine de' Medici has a reputation for being a witch. And this Pluto and Saturn, okay, maybe her aura is not glowing white. <laughs> Because this Pluto conjunct Saturn in the ninth house, that Pluto, that occult, right? In the philosophy and the dogma. Interesting. And control, right? Ooh, okay. Well, oh, I, I, I definitely want to hear about what you have to say about her. Um, powerful women are often described as witches by yes. their opponents. Yes, this is true, but there is some uh, narration of her uh, abilities to use potions and things like mm -hmm. that. There, yes. there, there is some, and not for healing, not using them for healing, using them, I mean, I don't know if it's true, who knows what is true mm -hmm. about history, but yes, powerful women are always called witches, because they induce fear <laughs> in men because if a man cannot control a woman especially uh, i mean normally a very secure man doesn't need to control a woman he's fine right he's fine within his being but insecure men feel they need to control them or, or kill them <laughs> get rid of them so yeah I, well, i'm very excited to hear what this what you have to say about uh, Catherine de Medici. Uh, so, uh, for those of you who don't know, Catherine de Medici uh, was uh, at one time uh, the Queen of France or the Queen Regent. Um, uh, she was probably one of the most powerful women uh, in the in Renaissance uh, France. Uh, she uh, was connected to the powerful uh, de Medici family, who were a very powerful banking family in Florence. They pretty much funded the entire Renaissance. Uh, they paid for uh, Michelangelo and uh, Leonardo da Vinci to do all of their great works. Um, and uh, very much connected to uh, a, a, a brutal uh, regime in uh Italy, the de' Medici family, and then what she did in France as well. Um, but we'll see uh, how how uh, accurate that is a, a portrayal of her. Uh, so uh, Catherine de' Medici was born uh, April 13th, 1519 in Florence. Um, she was born to uh, Lorenzo de' Medici, and uh, her mother was Madeline. Um, and uh, the parents, they were married just a year earlier as part of a peace agreement uh, between uh, the king of France, King Francis I, and uh, the pope, uh, Pope Leo X, who was a Medici. He was uh, Lorenzo's uncle. 
so uh, as always with uh, 1500s uh, politics, there's going to be lots of names that are going to come up here. I'm going to do my best to sift through these and, and make this into a uh, easily digestible form to get us to understand her life. But there's always things going on with the Pope uh, in Renaissance Italy, and so uh, and especially when that Pope is a de' Medici. Uh, so they they patched things up by having these two married, and they had uh, their daughter, uh, Catherine. And uh, it is written that the parents were as pleased with her as if it were a boy. Uh, oh, they had, no! <laughs> they uh, had intended to... Uh, uh, give her the best of education and and everything uh, they were just uh, overjoyed to have a uh, little Catherine um, but uh, that was uh, not to be um, her mother died uh, one month uh, later um, and mm. uh, her father died just a few days after that uh, wow. the mother uh, died of a fever and I, I'm not exactly sure what the uh, father died of uh, so with the parents uh, dead, um, there was a power struggle over how Catherine would be reared. Um, King Francis wanted Catherine to go up to France and be reared in the French court, and uh, Pope uh, did not. The Pope wanted her to stay in Italy, and uh, that's what ended up happening. The Pope uh, won and uh, named Catherine at just one year old as the Duchess of Urbina, Um now, he being the granduncle of the Duchess of Urbina, uh, swiftly went in and took Urbina as a papal state. Uh, so he would be in charge of Urbina, uh, because what's a one-year-old going to do with a, with a duchy? Right. Um, so uh, she would be cared for by her paternal grandmother until she died uh, just one year later. Uh, she was then taken in by uh, Aunt uh, Clarice uh, de Medici, uh, and uh, in the uh, de Medici palace where she grew up, she was called Duchessissima, uh, which means the little duchess. Um, she lived there for a few years, but then uh, the one of the uh, Pope Leo died, and there was a time period where. Uh, it was about a, a year or so when they were electing a new pope and all sorts of power struggles happened in the Republic of Florence and uh, the Medicis were overthrown and uh, Catherine was sent away to different nunneries. Um, she was sent to uh, uh, all these nunneries in Italy, uh, several of them over a period of three years, and she described this part of her life as being actually one of the most pleasant parts. Um, it was uh, a lot of hard work in these uh, nunneries but she really enjoyed it and, and enjoyed uh, the religious lifestyle. Um, but uh, again, with Renaissance politics being as it is, the de' Medicis were able to come back into uh, some sort of power when uh, Pope Clement, who was also a de' Medici, um, linked up with uh, Charles of Spain. Uh, he made uh, Charles the Holy Roman Emperor so that he could use the Spanish army to take Florence back. And they laid siege uh, to uh, the palace, and young Catherine was there. She was just 10 years old, um, and the troops found her, and uh, there was a, a bit of a discussion as to what they were going to do with her. Um, some of them thought that she was no good anymore, that she was not a true ally to them, and that she should be killed, and her body should be uh, put on the fence. Um, others wanted to take uh, the girl and and have the troops have their way with her. Um mm. 
uh, that did not happen. Um, and the next year in 1530, she was returned to Pope Clement, and uh, the Pope was just overjoyed that uh, the little 11-year-old girl had made it through uh, all of these trials, and he said he got down on his knees and he cried and hugged her. Um, but, uh, it is, uh, 1530, uh, she's 11 years old, it's time to get hitched. Oh, no! Uh, so, uh, the matchmaking, uh, process began, uh, and, uh, some of the writers, um, in Rome were talking about, you know, the, the chroniclers of the time were saying that, uh, she was not, uh, the most attractive, uh, young lady, oh, uh, she was very small and thin, which is how a lot of 11-year-old girls are. Uh, yeah. Um, she was uh, not, she didn't have very delicate features, and uh, she, they said that she had uh, the bulging eyes, which were um, uh, a characteristic of the de' Medici family. I think that nowadays we'd say that she has Betty Davis eyes. Um, but what she lacked in looks, she more than made up for in money. Uh, the de' Medici family <laughs> was uh, one of the most wealthy banking families on the continent. Uh, so she had a list of suitors coming after her. Uh, James V of Scotland uh, wanted to marry her, but the Pope did not think that, that was a good fit. Um, and then uh, King Francis uh, uh, proposed his uh, second uh, son, Henry. And uh, just as a note here, there's going to be a lot of men with the name Henry coming up in our discussion <laughs> today. Henry was the most popular name in French uh, uh, aristocracy aristocratic tradition so we'll try and keep this straight but henry uh the duke of orleans who was the second in line to the french throne and uh he was actually uh, what we would consider somewhat age appropriate if there is an age appropriate uh, to get married um uh, when you're 14 years old mm -hmm. uh, but he was also 14 so uh, we can uh, uh have some small sigh of relief here um, that uh, the two 14-year-olds were married in 1533, um, and it was a, a grand uh, occasion, and uh, the big ball happened, uh, lots of dancing. Uh, Henry was a, a quite proficient jouster, and so he loved uh, to uh, joust, and he was jousting for his new bride, and um, it, it was uh, quite the affair. And, of course, um, uh with these being uh, some of uh, uh, the, the highest uh, aristocratic nobles in France, it, it was very important for them to uh, get to the business of making babies right away. Oh, and no. so, uh, of course, that very night, um, there would be an audience um, to make sure that they had uh, done their nuptial duties. And uh, upon watching this, uh, the groom's father, uh, King Francis, uh, said uh, after the conclusion of this that uh, both parties had shown valor in the joust. Oh no, that's horrible! Uh, so, uh, things were nice for about a year, and then uh, the Pope died. Uh, so Pope Clement died in 1534. He was uh, the, the uncle of uh, Catherine de' Medici, and part of this arrangement was that she was going to be getting a lot of this de' Medici money to go, it would be sent to France. Um, but then a new pope came in, and the new pope didn't want to send any of this money over to France. <laughs> and so she quickly fell out of favor with the French, uh, because now she was just a, a, a thin 13-year-old with bulging eyes who had no money. Oh, no! Um, the, uh, uh, now, the, the Henry, uh, 
her husband, uh, he was second in line uh, to the throne. There was one brother ahead of him. But in 1536, uh, the, the Dauphin, Dauphin Francis, that, that is Dauphin. what the first in line is, um, he, uh, what they say is that he caught a bit of a chill uh, while he was playing tennis, uh, and he got sick and he died. Um, now, a lot of people point to the most popular way that the de' Medici's took care of their political enemies was through poison. <laughs> and that it is possible that Catherine uh, made a little cocktail for I the told Dauphin. you! Uh, and that is what then made her the, I mean, her husband to be first in line to the French throne, and by a proxy, she would then be Queen of France. Mm-hmm. Um, so, whether uh, she made that little cocktail, had it made, uh, or it, it didn't happen, and it was just a, a stroke of luck, in any sense, uh, she and her husband became next in line to the French throne. Um, now, the marriage between Henry and uh, uh, Catherine was not a very happy one. Um she, especially with uh, the, her lack of money now uh, coming in, um, the uh, king, uh, Henry, found it more preferable to be with lots of other women. Mm. And uh, they would not have children for uh, uh, over 10 years. Mm. Uh, a lot of that had to be with they were not in the same bed together. He was in other people's beds. Oh, my. Um, eventually he took a, a mistress, uh, who, he was 19 and she was 38. Oh my! Um, and, uh, she was, uh, Diane de Poitier, and, uh, she convinced him to spend more time with his actual wife, um, because then that's how he's going to have children, and children who are recognized as heirs. And, uh-huh. uh, the, the 19-year-old decided, okay, fine, I'll do that. Oh. And uh, now there are lots of stories of how Catherine figured out how to actually conceive a child. And these also go to these things of witchery and potion making and uh, using all sorts of uh, vile things uh, to try and, and make this conception happen. Mm. Um, whether that is true or not, um, most likely what worked was that they actually were in the same bed together. Um, <laughs> None of the, it wasn't about these potions. But once she had her first child, 11 years into the marriage, uh, then uh, she had a lot of these children. Uh, so her first child was born in 1544, and that was Francis. Um, and then she would give birth eight more times in as many years. Wow. Uh, so uh, she, she uh, was, in fact, very fertile. Um, so uh, during... Uh, all this time, uh, the uh, the w- part of the French politics at the time, there was this family uh, called uh, Guise. Uh, so there were uh, these two brothers. There was a duke and a cardinal, uh, Charles and Francis Guise. And they were boyhood friends of King Henry. Um, and their sister Mary, uh, Mary Guise, was married to James V of Scotland. Uh, and they had a daughter named Mary, who would later become known as Mary, Queen of Scots. And uh, little Mary uh, was actually raised uh, or reared in the French court, uh, directly uh, under the supervision of Catherine de' Medici. 
she uh, uh, grew up and, and, and uh, Catherine treated uh, young Mary just the same as she would uh, any of her other children. And in fact, um, the young Mary was betrothed uh, to the Dauphin, Francis. Uh, so uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, would marry uh, the uh, who would future become the King of France. And uh, that would hopefully solidify the relationship between uh, the Guise family, the royal crown, and the crown of Scotland. Um, in uh, June of uh, 1559, uh, there was a uh, marriage uh, of another child. Uh, so their daughter uh, was married to uh, the Philip of, uh, Philip of Spain. Uh, and uh, Henry, the uh, king, uh, who was Catherine's husband, uh, was, of course, wanted to celebrate uh, this grand affair um, with a uh, jousting. Um, and so uh, he went out and he jousted with all the best of them. Uh, several counts uh, went up against him and he beat them handily. Uh, then there was uh, the Count Montgomery of Scotland who uh, challenged him to the joust and they jousted and everything was fine. And uh, then the king decided, I'm going to joust that guy one more time. And uh, they jousted uh, on the Champ de Mars, and uh, the lances collided, and uh, Montgomery's lance uh, hit the shield, and it splintered. And one of the splinters uh, went into the visor of King Henry. Uh, it actually punctured his eye, mm -hmm. uh, actually went all the way through his eye and into his brain. Mm -hmm. um, it was ten days of agony uh, uh, before he actually passed away. Um, so, uh, at this time, uh, I'd like to talk just a little bit about, uh, Catherine de' Medici's relationship with Nostradamus, mm -hmm. uh, because Nostradamus predicted that this would happen. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Nostradamus, uh, predicted that, um, not only would the husband die like this, that, uh, Catherine de' Medici, uh, asked specifically to have an audience with Nostradamus, already knowing how great of a prophet he was. Mm -hmm. And Nostradamus sat her down and gave uh, the astrological charts of all of the children and said, all of your children will become a king of France, um, but you will outlive all of them. Wow. And for the most part, that was true. Uh, there was one son, uh, the last son uh, was able to become king of France, and she died before mm -hmm. that. Um, or she died while he was reigning, and he only lived another year. Mm. Um, so the the relationship between uh, Nostradamus and Catherine de Medici is very fascinating. Um, so uh, uh, Nostradamus found himself in a bit of trouble a lot, uh, because there were some very religious people who thought that what he was doing was complete witchcraft and against, uh, it was heresy. Mm -hmm. um, and Catherine de Medici actually saw what he was doing and saw the value in it in her own life. And uh, he sort of uh, filled this uh, advisor role for her and also sort of an instructor role for her. Mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, when it came time for Catherine, once she became powerful after her husband's death, a few years later, she toured all of France and she made sure to go to Salon de Provence and have a special meeting with Nostradamus, where she then uh, gave him the title of doctor. Mm -hmm. 
Um, he had earned the title of doctor going to school, but then they had taken it away from him because he practiced apothecary and because of his fortune-telling ways. Um, but she said, no, he is, in fact, a physician, and it is crowned. The, the crown agrees with this. Mm -hmm. And that really helped uh, Nostradamus in continuing out uh, living uh, the rest of his life. Uh, so um, after uh, the uh, her husband, Henry, died, um, their first child, Francis, he was crowned uh, King Francis II. But um, the Guise uh, brothers uh, make their uh, play here. They decide that they want to be uh, in control of the French crown. And so they take uh, young Francis and uh, his bride, Queen Mary, um, to uh, the Louvre, uh, which was a palace at the time, and they're going to make a new French court out of there. Um, and Catherine was very upset about this, um, that her son has been kidnapped by these two Guise brothers, um, but she figured out a way to deal with them and to work with them to make sure that she was still in power and instructing her son on how to handle uh, the kingdom. Um the problem that also arises here is that we are in the middle of the Reformation. Uh, so there are very strong uh, uh, feelings towards Catholicism and Protestantism going on within France at this time. Um, the Guise are solidly in the Catholic camp, that France is a Catholic nation, that all Huguenots and Protestants are heretics and deserve to be killed. Um, there's another family, uh, the, the Bourbons, uh, who believe that the, they are Protestants and they do not believe that the Catholic Church is the correct church for France. And uh, Catherine uh, de' Medici, she took a kind of, um, uh, uh, she, she stood back from this uh, conflict and wanted both of these people to get along with each other. Did not, she uh, wanted toleration. Um, that the Protestants tolerate the Catholics, the Catholics tolerate the Protestants. We don't need to go to war and kill each other over this. Um, but uh, th that's a, toleration is a real hard uh, thing to push for in 1560s France. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there were several civil wars that broke out between the Catholics, between the Guise brothers and the Bourbons. Um, and... Uh, Francis, young Francis, he didn't live very long to see all of this. Uh, so he died the next year in 1560. Um, and uh, then the next son uh, came into power, Charles. And uh, he was just nine years old. And mm -hmm. if you let a nine-year-old rule your country, it's not going to work out very well. You're <laughs> just going to give out chocolate milk to everybody. It's, uh, uh, so uh, Catherine had to be there. And was happy to be there and be the ruler of France, the queen regent. Uh, all decisions are really running through her. And she's trying to quell this war while the both sides are trying to kill her children. And uh, it, it was uh, a very a chaotic time in France. Uh, one of the characters that pops up during this time is a woman uh, named Jeanne d'Albray. Uh, she is uh, of uh, Navarre. She is part of this Bourbon uh, dynasty. She is uh, a Protestant. Um, and uh, she has a lot of problems with the Guise brothers, the Catholics, and Catherine de Medici. And uh, Catherine de Medici at one time called this woman one of the most shameless women uh, in, in France because uh, she decided to make her own little kingdom and uh, was going to rule out of Navarre and uh, that would be the Protestant uh, area, and she did not want France to all be together 
or if it was, it had to be all Protestant. Uh, so this was in direct opposition to what Catherine de' Medici wanted. Uh, so there was another uh, a religious civil war that went on. Uh, and at, at one of these times, uh, she visited the battlefield. And she wanted to talk to uh, uh, one of the uh, Protestant leaders uh, uh, had uh, was had been injured, and she wanted to go and see him. And uh, the advisor said, you cannot go onto the field. There's a war going on. And uh, she laughed and said, my courage is as great as yours. Mm-hmm. And went right through the battlefield to go and visit uh, the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, 1563, uh, one of the uh, Guise brothers was assassinated. Uh, so the Duke of Guise was killed, and uh, Catherine de' Medici is, um, it is written that she said that if uh, the Duke had been killed sooner, we would have had peace quicker. Mm. Um, that these guys have been causing a lot of troubles for France. Um, Catherine was always interested in, in making sure that, uh, uh, the, that there was a unity, that France was in the best possible position and her children were in the best possible position. Mm-hmm. And so she saw that one of the ways to bury all of this, bury the hatchet between uh, the Protestants and the Catholics, is to marry the families together. And so uh, the one woman uh, who we talked about earlier, Jeanne de Albrey, uh, she had a son named Henry, uh, Henry Navarre. And uh, Catherine decided that she should have her daughter, Margaret, marry Henry of Navarre. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, this is all great, except that uh, our friend Maggie was actually already sleeping with another guy. (laughs) Uh, And it's none other than one of the Guise children. Uh, So this family that has been causing all this trouble, Margaret is uh, sacking up with one of them, who's also, of course, named Henry. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, Henry Guise. So, uh, Catherine finds them in bed together. And she goes in there and she pulls Margaret out by her hair. Ooh. And she has a conniption fit, just beats the holy heck out of her, uh, uh, rips her clothes, pulls chunks of her hair out, uh, because she's she's ruining the peace between the, the, the countries. Between mm-hmm. the, the, the Civil War could stop if, if she would just marry the, the right Henry. Oh, no. um, and uh, eventually she did get uh, Margaret and Henry Navarre to get married. Um, and uh, Henry's uh, mother, Jeanne, who Catherine once described as the most shameless woman in France, uh, came uh, to the wedding and she was shopping uh, three days uh, before the wedding. And wouldn't you know it, she just died. Oh, <laughs> And a lot of people point to uh, she got sick and uh, maybe she got sick uh, from poison. And uh, one of the uh, she had been presented with a gift from Catherine de Medici uh, (gasps) earlier. uh, And it was a gift of gloves. Uh And those gloves had a very interesting perfume on them. (gasps) And a lot of people think that maybe that perfume was actually poison. And uh, instead of putting it into a meal, she put it onto the gloves because the way that ladies took off their gloves was to bite the fingertip of the <gasps> glove to pull it off. Oh, my. So, again, whether that is something that is made up afterwards or something that uh, Catherine actually did, that is certainly one of the stories that goes along with Catherine de' Medici. So, even though the mother had died, the marriage still uh, goes on. Um, but there's still tons of problems between the Protestants and the Catholics in, uh, in, in France. 
And so, uh, again, one of the Protestant uh, leaders, he is assassinated uh, just a few days um, after the wedding. And a lot of people point to Catherine as uh, having uh, instigated this assassination, Hmm. Uh, though uh, gunshots were not usually how the Medici's did things. Um, But maybe they're getting more technologically advanced. Who knows? Um, So uh, after that, uh, they all the Catholic leaders go into a meeting and they figure, well, there's going to be retribution. The Protestants are going to attack us uh, because one of their leaders has been killed. We should do a preemptive attack. And so uh, Charles, her son, uh, who is king, uh, he is uh, said to have shouted at the top of his lungs, kill them all, kill them all. Mm. Uh, and what precipitates is one is known as the St. Bartholomew Day Massacre. And it is one of the bloodiest, um, not even a day, it's, it's much longer than a day, it's weeks. Uh, some people said that it, it was a season of killing. It was something, um, France would not see this much bloodshed until uh, the French Revolution. It was, the, the streets were literally running red with blood as all of these uh, Catholics uh, were uh, massacring uh, the Protestants. And uh, as this was all occurring, uh, the, the, the young Henry, who had just gotten married, who was this Protestant uh, from Navarre, uh, had decided that uh, in order to preserve the peace, he was going to convert to Catholicism and just stop all of the madness. Mm-hmm. And um, what is said to have happened as he was converting to Catholicism is that Catherine laughed. And uh, that is when all of the Protestants started to call her uh, the Catholic witch. Ah. Oh. Um, that uh, a lot of these stories may have been fabricated after the fact because mm-hmm. uh, she, because of what she did um, in their minds, they lost their king to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, after converting, Henry has one of my favorite quotes where he says um, he converted to Catholicism and he said, because Paris is worth a mass. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is worth converting to Catholicism in order to be king. Um, and he would eventually become king of France and, and really work to uh, bring, uh, do his best, the best that you could at the time to bring these two fighting sides together. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, two years after all of this horrible massacre, uh, her other, the, the king died. Charles died. And uh, his last words were said to have been, oh, my mother. And mm. um, uh, then... Uh, uh, it was now time for the third son to come to the throne, and his name was, would you know it, it's Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so her son, Henry, uh, who was her favorite, her favorite son was now king of France. Mm-hmm. Um, but he uh, was not really capable of having uh, children. Uh, he, uh, uh, he got married right away, but never produced any heirs. Um, and so this kind of threw the whole dynasty into chaos because they were running out of children. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one last brother. His name was Francis, but he was a, a real troublemaker. Uh, he was trying to side with the Protestants to get the Catholics out of power, and uh, it caused all sorts of trouble. At one point, Catherine had a six-hour tirade against Francis. Oh, my yelling at him for all of the harm and all of his behavior. Well, he died. Uh, And so Francis was no longer a problem, but the Valois dynasty, this dynasty that had ruled France for over 300 years, was now out of heirs. Mm. Um, And uh, Henry 
who was the king, uh, got into some more trouble between the Guise and the uh, Protestants and the Catholics, and Paris was taken hostage by the Guise brothers, and eventually Henry had so much, uh, uh, he had had enough of it, and so he found everyone in the Guise family and had them murdered. Um, oh my! And just murdered, assassinated in the most brutal ways. One of them was still a cardinal, <gasps> and he was said to have been butchered. <gasps> um, oh no. and, and just get rid of all that. And he then went into the bedroom of his mother, who was sixty-nine years old, got on his knees and cried, and said, "I've done, I've done it. I've, it's done." And Catherine is said to have gone to the the um, priest uh, in, in, the next day and say, "That wretched man." He, he is uh, making his own ruin. Um, and she died uh, just a few days later uh, of, of a disease. Wow. Um, in, uh, January of 1589. Um, so uh, what would happen later? Henry would die. Uh, Henry, her son, uh, would die just a, a, a few years later uh, with no heirs. And so the next in line was Henry Navarre. Uh, so this marriage that she had, uh, uh, instituted, had had, had uh, manipulated to happen between her daughter and Henry Navarre, bringing the Catholics and the Protestants together. He would become uh, uh, the uh, next uh, king of France. The Valois dynasty would be dead, but the Bourbons would go on to rule for another uh, 200 years. Uh, their son would be Louis XIII. Um, and since the, his, the, Louis XIII's mother was Margaret, um, there was de Medici blood in the uh, French uh, royal family of, all the way up until the French Revolution. Uh, wow. So she had managed to, to make this happen, to have some sort of legacy after all of these deaths. So I want to uh, end this with a, uh, a quote from Henry Navarre, uh, who was talking about his... Uh, late uh, mother-in-law, Catherine de' Medici. And I think this quote says a lot about both of their characters. Uh, so uh, Henry Navarre said about uh, Catherine de' Medici, I ask you, what could a woman do left by the death of her husband with five little children on her arms and two families of France who were thinking of grasping the crown, our own, the Bourbons, and the Guises? Was she not compelled to play strange parts to deceive first one and then the other in order to guard, as she did, her sons, who successively reigned through the wise conduct of that shrewd woman? I'm surprised that she never did worse. Uh, mm. So, uh, Catherine de' Medici, um, the, the, a villain to many, um, a, a hero to maybe some, or a heroine to some, um, I think a, a woman who cared a lot about her family, uh, that um, that was something very important to her and, and her legacy and uh, did all that she could uh, to protect her family and, and to protect France, wanted France to be at peace with each other instead of fighting each other from the inside all the time, um, but went through some very dastardly means possibly uh, to achieve that. Wow. Well... That is extremely interesting. And I have not known this much information about Catherine de' Medici. But I, I mean, I don't know if everybody knows a little bit about the de Medici's or not. But um, looking at this chart where, I mean, this person had the potential to be 
very ethereal and and uh, and good, right? But this person, the 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 other side of that is this ninth house in Capricorn with Pluto conjunct um, Saturn in that house. Okay, so her dogma was control. All right, because she has Capricorn on the ninth house. That's her dogma. Capricorn is controlled. Capricorn is ruled by Saturn, all right? And having Pluto conjunct Saturn is, um, you know, she has a lot of power there, all right? Her sixth house, her children being her job, right? Uh, and there being uh, Jupiter conjunct Moon, right? So, I mean, she, her children were her job. That's her job. And then having all of this 12th house. And um, I mean, we, we're we going on with a chart that we believe this is, you know, her chart, right? Uh, so her due to the time of birth that we have. But there's a lot of power here. An awful lot of power. And the Neptune in the 11th house is that I believe that groups of people never saw her clearly. But I do believe having Neptune in Aquarius in the 11th house, uh, there was a powerful, potentially uh, manipulative way that she had with groups of people, but it's in Aquarius. So I'm hoping it was humanitarian. And she did have France's best interest at heart after her own, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. um, but I think... And, and saw the two linked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And she isn't a person who comes from nothing and then ascends. She was basically born into it, you know? So, uh, very, very, very interesting, Chandler. I'm glad you chose her as, uh, as one of our subjects to, um, look into her chart. It's very interesting. Powerful women, this kind of power is, uh, I mean, she's legendary. If you don't know about her, uh, somehow you've, you've, you've made it past a lot of, um, popular, even television series. There it was a television series on, uh, the CW called Rain, which romanticizes everything about this, but kind of has a lot of the topics that you touched on Chandler. So I don't know if you're interested and I don't know how you could watch it now, but, uh, interesting, um, television series based on all of this. Yes. I mean, uh, she has a, a legacy that we know of to this very day. Uh, you can see it in, in movies. You can see it in television. This is one of the most remarkable women of history. Yes. Yes. And you know, Hey, she did what she felt she had to do. I can't say it's good or bad or true or not, but they did put a, a lot of murders on her uh, as though she had done them. So mm -hmm. maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, well, uh, I think on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, uh, this is another one right on the money. This is uh, very close to who um, Catherine de' Medici was, the uh, 
the power, the the family as her career, the um, I think uh, a lot of the supernatural things uh, all really connect to who she was. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, well, uh, that concludes this episode of History in Retrograde. We'd like to uh, thank you so much for uh, listening. And uh, if you'd like to support the show, please uh, take a look at the links in our uh, description. Uh, we have uh, links to all of our uh, social media accounts. And uh, we're uh, promising you soon to give you more developments on the sparrow nest um, that is uh, being <laughs> built outside of my mother's window by the bay. <laughs> Uh, so uh, if you want to see the nest, uh, please take a look at our uh, Instagram and Facebook accounts. Um, we also have a link to our uh, PayPal account. Um, and uh, if you are feeling a little bit generous, every little bit helps us in producing a better quality show and uh, getting the news uh, out there to uh, all of our uh, listeners. Um, and, uh, you know, the best way to help us also is just tell your friends. Uh, tell your friends about uh, all the fun stuff uh, that we're doing here every Friday. Uh, Mom, do you have uh, anything to add? Yes, I just want to say that um, I will be posting <laughs> pictures of the sparrow nest and I will put them on our social media and you guys can see kind of some other pictures that I have of me here in my lovely little um, abode by the water. And I also want to say thank you to everyone who is supporting us and to the wonderful, wonderful, generous people who have been sending uh, bits and pieces through PayPal. And also for everyone for sharing the show. And we just want you to know how much we appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you so much. Yes, uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything will be just fine. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 